Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today I'm very excited to welcome a guest that I've had in rotation at my house since the late 90s, Theo Kogan from The Lunachicks. Theo and I are going to talk about their new book, Fallopian Rhapsody, the band's comeback, their history, and so much more. We had a limited time to talk, but I think we got a lot out of it. I cannot recommend their new book enough. Stay tuned. This is Theo Kogan. Hello. Thank you so much for doing the show. It's uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I look at my record shelf today. You guys were actually the first female artist at all that I ever bought. First CD I ever bought. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so I uh, just remember being blown away by the sense of humor and the lyrics. And you guys are doing both things that are conscious or like you guys kind of talked about being like, almost accidental feminists in there, but also fucking around just as much. And um, mm-hmm. picking up the book, I knew absolutely nothing about you guys, really, beyond what was on the record covers. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think it's really cool how you guys all came together and kind of told the stories as a group. You know, I had Lou from Sick of It All last year, and they did it in a similar way, but I just really couldn't believe it. I didn't realize you guys came from... You were around the early hardcore scene in the 80s mm-hmm. and... You know, CBs and Danceteria and like things I read about in the Beastie Boys book or the Agnostic Front Roger Merritt book, you know. Um, mm-hmm. What have the fans reacted to the most from putting this story out there? I mean, were there other people like me who were like, whoa, I thought you guys were a 90s band. I didn't realize it went back so deep. I mean, not so much there, but the reaction has been just incredible where people are just pouring out with love (laughs) on the internet, just saying how much they related to it and that it helped them. Or we've gotten plenty of emails saying that our music helped people through hard times and things like that. And so being able to tell the story with the distance that we had and also you know that the fact that like and i'm sure in those other books too like new york is sort of another character because it's new york and there was and still is so much going on it was a pretty special time to be a teenager and have all that going on in all these different facets of the city and you know danceteria was (laughs) like i was telling somebody actually today that I used to get in there when I think I was like 14. That's when I started going. And then like the drinking age here, I think was 18. And then it changed. It moved up to 21 when I was 15. And suddenly I couldn't get in because they were carding. And I was like, but I got here when I was 14. What's the problem? (laughs) Yeah. But um, (laughs) that was pretty funny. So yeah. and, And without having, you know, all this digital tracking that we have now, on phones and everything else like you were really once you left the house you did what you wanted to and no one would know yeah that was a a gift i guess in a way you know and in some ways it's like it's great that we have so many ways to find each other and be seen and be safe and all that stuff but i mean i i'm glad i grew up when we grew up it was was a fun time yeah and just (laughs) as a fan i mean it was because back then there was no social media you know the internet's kind of downloading songs or something like that you're not getting a ton of information right. so um, yeah. Yeah, it, it was yeah. yeah exciting for me and you know seeing all you guys kind of had different formative experience kind of the epiphany of like oh wow I could see myself doing this like you talked about yeah. seeing a band called Frightwig what was that show like why was that important to you 
I just walked in and it was everything that I needed to see at that moment. And it, like my jaw dropped to the floor. It's like two of them looked like they have like, who knows if this is even what was really happening or if this is just what my memory has done. But I saw like these giant, like sort of gauzy, long tutu kind of skirts, but very like, you know, black. And then one of them had like a giant veil over her face, but had like this bright red hair and they were just going nuts. And then the drummer was this like larger than life, like Barbie doll in jeans and a t-shirt who was like stunningly gorgeous and was just like amazing at playing and didn't give a shit. And then at some point they all switched instruments and then I was just like, okay, now I'm dead. Like this is incredible. <laughs> I don't know if I had their record already. They had this record that I listened to all the time. And yeah, and that was like my sort of defining moment of like, if they can do this, I think I could do this. That was my like jaw dropping, like light bulb moment, seeing them. Yeah, I like how you guys were all best friends. You sort of played instruments, but didn't think of it in terms of like, oh, I'm going to learn this instrument so I can be in a band. It kind of just happened over each of you seeing this sort of like aha moment that you know, mm -hmm. oh, shit, we should do that. And it, I think a lot of us can relate to starting a band just with your best friends before anyone knows how to play just because that's what you love to do and you're always together. Uh, I like that you mentioned the clothing thing because there's a, a section in here about, I think the quote was aggressively absurd custom clothing <laughs> that you guys went after. There was a line that says, we planned our tour dates around thrift stores and... That hit me because I do the same thing for record stores. You know, first thing in town. All right, how much time to sound check? How many record shops can we hit? You know, and exactly. I love how way later in the story that came in handy where you guys were touring Japan and all of your merch was lost and you guys had actually had to make in the hotel room all your merch from scratch, basically. Yeah, we bought a whole bunch of white T-shirts and a whole bunch of like sharpies and paint pens and whatever we could find and literally i mean we have photos that i don't know why they didn't make it in the book but i guess they're not the greatest photos but we have photos of these you know in japan also like your hotel rooms are very small so it was like <laughs> we made like a sweatshop in one hotel room <laughs> where it was like we would draw then Somebody would like, maybe there was puffy paint involved too. So there's somebody was like blow drying and then somebody else was hanging it up. Like me and Gina were doing all the art. But yeah, we, I mean, God, I would love to see some of those shirts because uh, hopefully there's some floating around. But that, I mean, each one was a, a masterpiece. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder what, fun. like if people even know how rare that shit was or if they just shot, thought like, oh yeah, this American band has weird merch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know, hard to say. <laughs> Now, one of the biggest shocks in this, I mean, and there's a lot in the book that, you know, you'll get tons of people you didn't expect to see there. You know, Alice Cooper, Joan Jett, Howard Stern, recording with Debbie Harry. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy surprises. But in terms of your guys' origins, there's a line that sums it up from Gina where she says, so after a couple of more shows, we had a record deal. And it seems like you guys sort of almost had this fantasy start that was too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Because you talked about it was Sonic Youth that signed you guys. And sounds like you were straight fighting their audience when, when you actually played together. But was that before yeah. or, or after they brought you on? 
I think that must have been after since like they, you know, Kim and Thurston or Thurston came to our, it was like our second or third show ever. So I think the show when we opened for them was after that. And um, I never thought about the fact until much later, like maybe around beginning to write this book that we were signed after a couple of shows. And they brought us to their an English label they were working with called Blast First. And this, yeah. the guy, his name is Paul Smith. And, you know, be, I guess because it wasn't some big American label, like it didn't seem, it seemed like, oh my God, wow, cool. Like this is happening. But it didn't seem as monumental as it seems now where it's like, we got signed up for a second or third show. Like that's insane, you know, and we can barely play. <laughs> so, you know, looking back on it, it's more sort of, mind-blowing but at the time it was also like oh my god this is really happening you know so it was super exciting but we were also teenagers and we were like shitheads so yeah. you know it's like we were like of course we're not inside you know like we're amazing and also had this vision of what we were supposed to sound like which was not what the vision that kim and thurston had for us sounding like so that was our like first you know artistic difference uh, moment with people we were working with, which was kind of hilarious, really, because they thought, you know, we were trying to be a noise band when we were really trying to, like, be an amazing, like, arena rock band yeah. <laughs> or something. <laughs> and it kind of sets, like, one of the first themes of the book in that you have all these interactions that you guys are just a band. But then you start to realize, oh, no, the perception is we're the girl band. And there was sort of like yeah. a, a tokenism about when you would get opportunities, you were like, oh, so now people around the scene don't like us because we got this record deal. But then the people who signed us just see us as a girl band and want to package us and present us in this way. And I couldn't believe how many times that came up through this whole thing of like people mm -hmm. just really wanting to dismiss your own vision and package you sell you in a different way yep i mean it happens all the time and i'm a makeup artist now and i do i work with bands like yeah. not constantly but i do and just the things that i see when you know especially with major labels of how they want especially the women but the guys too to look a certain way to wear a certain thing and then watching some of these artists sort of fight it or just go along with it or whatever it is. It's just like, nobody could have told us like anybody. I mean, and I think people could sort of smell that from a mile away if you looked at us or saw us, but we were sort of like, everyone loved us. All these label people loved us, you know, it was like we played with everybody and then everyone was just like too afraid of our power or our humor or whatever it was. And the fact that, you know, we were women. Yeah. on top of it it's just like we never looked at it we were just like we're people who are going to play music we didn't think of it in starting we didn't think like oh we're making an all-female band we we're just like we're best friends and we're going to do this like it'll be cool why not and who else would we do it with yeah you know? it is unfortunate and i mean that shit still goes on i hear from bands today that are newer and younger and still the same old shit and it's really a bummer and i really hope that it will change i do see more female bands getting signed which i think is great but 
it's crazy how far you know we have we practically have flying cars and still people are like oh you're, yeah. do you play bass it's like you know or do you like is that your guitar yeah is, <laughs> it, is it your boyfriend's band exactly i mean even when i when uh, in the the skyscrapers which was like me and three guys one of them being my husband and we would load into a club and we were full DIY and bringing everything in. And I was carrying merch and setting it up. And, you know, someone's like, oh, are you the girlfriend? And I'm like, I'm, I'm Theo that's yeah. on this T-shirt, you know, but it, it's really sad. That's really what it is. And it needs to it needs to change. And hopefully it will. That reminds me of I, I think it was Monique Powell from Save Ferris. I, I forget exactly, but my friend made a. A documentary about the ska scene in the 90s and there was a story just uh-huh. like that where the bouncer wouldn't let her in like she went out to get ready okay it's showtime i'm walking back into the building and the bouncer wouldn't let her in like no like <laughs> show sold out sorry you can't come in she's like no i'm on the fucking my face is on the flyer dude uh, but yep. one of my favorite chapters in the book may- maybe my favorite chapter is all the stories of you guys kind of stirring up shit and fighting back at the shows. <laughs> it's called Close Encounters of the Turd Kind, which already is a winner, but you <laughs> were kind of tasked with, it seemed like, kind of policing the crowd. I've done that before, where like if a fight breaks out, you stop playing, hey, get that fucking guy out of here. But it sounds like that was regular for you that you were having to look out for people and make sure that all of your fans, who are a lot of young girls, aren't getting smashed in there. Yeah. I think my favorite part of that, that you had a bit, I guess, a recurring bit where a heckler would yell out, you would say, come here and say it into the mic, and then you'd knock him in the head with it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That shit was great. I mean, what do you remember about kind of falling into that role of having to dictate the crowd when you're up there just playing a punk set? Well... I mean, having been a kid who went to punk shows and, like, I got smashed, you know, like, people would just, like, big dudes would just throw you on literally, like, into the pit, you know, and I hated that. And once I was on stage, like, at our shows, that kind of stuff, well, for the most part, wouldn't happen. It would here and there. But when we were on tour with bigger bands that were guys that were on the radio and things like that like when we were on tour with offspring and rancid it just drew a crowd that didn't know us that didn't want to see a bunch of girls get up on stage and immediately you know we're just like oh you don't want to mess with us and say show us your tits so yeah call it like new york instinct i don't know but it was like once i did it once and got like and it's like I don't want to hurt people, but you know what? Some people are that stupid that they need to be knocked in the head. And yeah. when I knocked them in the head, because with, with the microphone too, it's made this great sound. It's like, <laughs> and then immediately everybody was like the crowd screams. And then, then a little violence was what sort of made them go, oh, wow, they're cool. You yeah. know? And honestly, I don't know what else would have made them stop. Sometimes it would just be like, they would get a crowd going, and it's like to reduce people to boobs and vaginas just because they have them on the stage, it's just so fucked up. 
and being on stage was like, okay, now this is a safe space. So yeah. when that wall was broken down, then it was just like, uh, it was like letting the lion out of the cage. I mean, that's kind of, you know, how I could really describe it. It was just like, uh-uh, not, <laughs> not in my house, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, so, and I imagine also just with your guys' onstage personas, with your costumes and makeup and all this shit, that when there's some creep in the crowd and Sid knocks him out with her bass that the crowd is like, Oh shit. They're, they're this ain't a joke. They're yeah. not fucking around, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. Now, of course there's stuff in here that I think any musician could relate to. I love the bit about sleeping upright in your seats in the van. Cause that was, <laughs> yeah. that, that was my first tour with my band. We were sitting at fucking rest stops, just fully upright with all the amps pressed up behind our seats. Yep. <laughs> I think the most unbelievable, because I've had every breakdown uh, I think I could imagine, but your engine fell out of you. It was like a rental van, I think. Yeah. That actually came out while you were on the road. Yes, it fell out. (laughs) That shit's insane. I I did have a wheel come off once uh, while on the interstate going pretty fast. We're just watching it Whoa. bounce between the, the median and then the other lane of traffic and go into the trees. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Did you crash? You must have. No, actually. Um, no. There was this just huge grass median, so we were able to turn into it, and um, it was totally fine. It was just really fucking scary. The whole thing's rattling like crazy, you know, like you're in the dryer oh. or something. <laughs> now, Gina's tour revelation really connected to me in that you know you're out there you're staying with sketchy people you just met because you don't have any money and Mm -hmm. you know sleeping on floors and you're not eating well and you're flying into the next town only to just get to the show and then drive to the next place i mean it it is a physical grind and Mm -hmm. when she has this like is this really what it boils down to like all of this work and people see it really Mm -hmm. as like oh you're going on tour it's a vacation it's not glamorous you know it is it is a lot of endurance and all this for just 45 minutes on stage and i was like yes that i've had that exact Mm -hmm. feeling but i also related to you talking about being away to preserve your voice you know that was another thing i talked to lou about last year of when you're the front man or the front woman in this case you have everybody kind of depending on you and so you can't be hanging out with everybody did you feel that sort of tour depression more so or i guess in a different way because you're you're not part of the gang i'm surprised that didn't cause more conflict from what i read honestly yeah i mean it didn't just because i was fine with taking care of myself, I guess, to an extent. I mean, there were certainly frustrations and it was depressing. And there were times when I was like, damn, everybody's out. Like, this fucking sucks. And there were times that, you know, I was just like, I know that if I am going to continue this and everybody's counting on me, then I have to shut up and go to sleep or else like, it's just gonna be bad, you know? But yeah, there was definitely like a big loneliness there. And there were times when I was like, you know, I wouldn't say that I was resentful, but I was bombed. Yeah. There's one specific one that it's probably in the book that I, I just remember being in Europe and like this club turned into from like punk show into dance party and it was so loud and everybody was out doing stuff. And I was just like, 
laying there just like with the boom, 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 <laughs> trying to sleep and just like, what am I doing? You know, it, it is very that. And then like the days off too, when you're like, you have to like a long drive and you have to go to the next place and you don't have a gig that night, even though there's like this sense of like, oh, phew, you know, I get to like rest my voice another night. But then it's also like, oh, now that's it. Like now we're just here together. And yeah. Doing and I've lost my voice as many times in the van as I have on stage, probably more times in the van. Because if you got an eight hour drive and you're laughing and you're singing along to the whatever you're playing yeah. music, then I've just shredded my voice from that so many times. It's like, OK, OK, stop fucking around. I got to I got I to rest. I got a show in two hours. Yeah. I mean, then I would just like take pillows from hotels or motels I should say and yeah. make like a pillow fort on the floor and then I would have like earplugs <laughs> eye mask and then like a sweatshirt over my head and yeah. just try to sleep through the whole drive and not talk and in a way that was sort of like an escape too because then I didn't have to engage with anybody to even think about talking you know there's so much energy that you have to give as a front person too as i'm sure you know it's like yeah. it takes a lot and it takes a lot out of you so i feel like it's just a i don't know it takes a lot of energy and yeah. like psyche psychic energy too and to kind of piggyback on that another thing that i just really really related to you talking about the post-tour come down the kind of depression that sits in when you have to go back to regular life and you use that superman clark kent analogy and it's it's just so true of every time i went out on the road and then you come back to the shitty customer service job it's like man people are cheering for you one night and then you're getting shit on the next day and when people say humbling yeah. They they don't mean it like this, you know. It's like the ultimate. It's almost kind of humiliating in a way. Like yeah, and and there's nothing you can do because you can't be like, Joe, don't you know who I am? Because no, they don't. They don't give yeah. a shit. <laughs> they couldn't care less. You're just like, yeah. It was that was brutal. And I know that comedians get it, and other you know actors get it. Like people get it after doing you know, movies and all these things. And it's something that is like a postpartum, right? You have this baby yeah, and then you're like, ah, oh, you know, now, now what? And there is something to have to like also going, you know, being on and with people 24 seven and then coming back to like, you have to deal with your own thoughts and then deal with your own thoughts mixed with this crazy transition of rock star to like, you know, another face on the street it's just it, it's, yeah. a, it's a mind fuck well and there was a part in there even learning that some of your heroes like the runaways having their own shitty jobs to go back to and it's like wait so if <laughs> if we're on this trajectory and i'm thinking okay but if we just work a little harder if we just play that tour if we just get on this label or whatever then then it'll go away and you find out you you kind of don't escape it no like the runaways having those jobs and then you know we're we're touring in the uk and one of the vibrators is driving our van and yeah peter and the test two babies drummer is doing our merch and everything you know it's just like everyone's just trying to get along but you're like but you're fucking rocks you're like the shit you yeah. know and then you're they're just like oh it's just a shit life you know and just here we go <laughs> one day after another i'm not on the dole or i am on the dole or whatever yeah 
that was another like slap in the face of like these are like our heroes and like what the fuck you know <laughs> i wonder too about when you are doing these tours with all these great bands some of them you mentioned but like vandals and offspring and you know they're your opener and then they become the headliner and then now they're taking you back out on the road and and that's very mm-hmm. cool and the reciprocal nature of that relationship is awesome but i imagine especially with kind of some of the the girl band stuff we talked about with like yeah all these labels love us but they they won't sign us there's got to be some weird mm-hmm. sort of like okay well well everyone else in our scene is is growing and hitting that next stage like why are we left out of this yeah it felt like that, you know, we're sort of like the stepchild, you know, yeah. um, of of it all, you know, and then like all the other bands of that time, like L7 and Bates and Toyland and Hole and, you know, everyone was getting signed and we were just like this sort of like no one wanted to touch us. <laughs> and then, you know, looking back on it, I understand why, you know, we were less accessible in a lot of ways, you know, we were untamable. I mean, not that those bands were tamed, but it's just, I don't know, we were just, I think the humor thing just added this other layer of, like, we don't know what this is for yeah. those people, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I get that, too. we couldn't help it. That's who we were and who we are. It's, we're fucking funny. We can't, I don't know, I don't get it. But yeah. I get it. I get it. I mean, I, I am where I am in my career, <laughs> but there have been countless times people have said to me, you're not really going to put that out, right? I'm like, hell yeah, I am. <laughs> that shit's funny. <laughs> so, I mean, yep. it's like you got to do it your way in the end. Um, I mean, and you also, sounds like butted heads with a lot of these people, not just Thurston, but I mean, kind of going on. I, I had Ryan Green on the show before. Uh, you did a record with him and Fat Mike. Sounds like that was really exciting, but then also didn't really align in terms of you know like no we want to make a luna chicks record you know right and i love mike like he's a you know a, a brother from another mother mm-hmm. <laughs> from, but he has his thing and he knows what he likes and what he believes and you know he did that as really as a favor you know and yeah. that's amazing and we're not a band where there's like one leader and it's like everybody has an opinion everybody has a strong voice everybody has an opinion big time and so there you know and it wasn't like we had some like production meeting beforehand it's just like we flew out there and went and did it and that's you know there's i'm not surprised that that should happen ryan was (laughs) great and it was also like okay well let's like learn from Fat Mike, who has sold a lot of records and has his own label and all this stuff, like, okay, let's see how it pans out. Let's let's listen to him a little bit. But yeah. at the same time, we also needed to stay true to ourselves. And that's something we definitely knew how to do. <laughs> so I wouldn't take that experience back. It was great. And I'm grateful to him and Ryan for working with us and um, not kicking us out also. <laughs> but... Um, yeah. <laughs> everybody sees something differently, right? So if you're like looking at, you know, a color, you see it one way and somebody else sees it another way. Yeah. You think about your sound, you see it one way and other people see it their own way. So it makes sense why all of that happened. We're strong people and we're always gonna butt heads. It's one way or another, you know, even with each other, it's like we're having the best time 
rehearsing and getting ready for the shows again. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the old things come up where you sort of slip into your own roles. I mean, not entirely, certainly, but it's just very funny. And then just seeing how each of us is like so strong-willed, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's funny, too, because all of us like kind of have our own businesses in one way or another too it's like we're not we're not people that that like to work for someone else (laughs) yeah i feel that to my bones i mean yeah the idea of working with some of my favorite producers is so amazing that it's one of those like hey we have this opportunity you want to do it yes but Mm -hmm. if i really thought about it i've been self-producing my own shit for ever at this point and i don't know that i could be told oh no do it this way (laughs) or like i'm gonna stop the tape because that wasn't i don't know i feel like i might fight it exactly the same way yeah that's Uh, integrity around that time in the story you talk about some of these acting gigs and i actually just i think last year for the first time saw bringing out the dead uh from nick cage and and scorsese Mm -hmm. i i didn't even realize that you were in it what was that like it was barely touched on there oh man that was so exciting like acting is so hard for me it's such a strange thing to be saying somebody else's words and you know certainly becoming a character i get it but you know i had a modeling agent and then an acting agent and so i don't remember how it came up i was just doing a lot of stuff and this audition came up and i was you know like horn number one or something <laughs> or horn number two yeah. <laughs> but it was like oh my god fucking Scorsese movie it's like we I've watched Goodfellas so many times and he's just an incredible director I mean albeit incredibly sexist and fucked up as to women which but then it was like I just I was so excited and so I, I nailed the first audition and then the second audition was with him Wow. And I totally nailed that, and then I got the part, and it was just, it, it was one of the, it was like another, like, okay, like, I if I get hit by a train tonight, that's okay, like, I'm yeah. good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that would be all right. And it was my first, like, big movie to do, too, because I had done plenty of, like, small and indie things, so it was, like, the first, like, big, big set, and I had a trailer, and, you know. Oh, nice. Was, you know, which is basically like a room in one of those things with like a bed. <laughs> yeah, sure. But the scene was with Nicolas Cage and John Goodman, and it was I, my my little mind was blown. It was very exciting, and well, you know, that's everyone's least favorite movie of his, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a cool movie. Like it's major like Taxi Driver vibes. You know, just kind yes. of cruising around insomniac in the night and seeing what kind of shit comes up but uh yeah i definitely want to watch it again now knowing that you were in it (laughs) and isn't patricia arquette in that too and they were married at the time is that can't remember you know i really only remember um cage and goodman because i i watched like like everyone else i watched like ten thousand movies during you know lockdown last year so yes I do want to touch on Luxury Problem. I think this is one of the best albums of its time. It's phenomenal. Even the title, I mean, First World Problem is now like a buzzword phrase. And, you know, just the opening lyrics on the first (laughs) song. I I mean, again, I'm 13. This is shit I never thought about. (laughs) 
at all. <laughs> and then you flip that and you're saying like, I, I'll pierce my colon so my shit comes out like Play-Doh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> um, I mean, I used to practice singing to that record, like coming into me and stuff Aww. like that, where you're really like showing off your range and, you know, little... 13-year-old me was, was singing along to that, cranked up my little speakers as loud as they would go, Aww. you know, trying to find my voice. And it was just, uh, it, it was such a great record. And we talked a lot about touring. I think Nowhere Fast is probably the first time I ever heard a song about going out there and doing it. And, and it, that, that was the dream. You know, that was everything mm-hmm. to me then as it is now. And, you know, every floor of every Motel 6 and just all these, there's so many great lines on that record. Um, I will say that because it was late in your journey, this album has kind of the least coverage about it in the story. What else do you remember about that time? And, and in my opinion, you guys really being on top of your game creatively yeah, I know. It's, it is funny that that doesn't... I mean, for me, that's my favorite album. And yeah. it, the song, Luxury Problem, when we're rehearsing right now, it's kind of my favorite song at the yeah. moment. It was like our zenith, you know? It was like we really hit all of our musicianship and songwriting and everything just was like... It, the puzzle pieces just clicked together. You know, that was like sort of the vision from the beginning. Yeah, And it was actually happening, and that was amazing. Was there any feeling that you guys were winding down at that time? And, like, I had that feeling a few years ago where I was like, dude, I, I can't do this grind shit all the time on the road anymore. You know, I'm going to make this record that's going to be, like, I'm going to throw everything at it. This is going to be my best shit ever, you know, and I'm going to slow down a bit. I mean, did you have any sort of that, or did it just kind of accidentally happen that way? It just accidentally happened. I think we made that record and it was incredible. And then, you know, maybe it was part of like our age and having been doing the road and everything for so long and sort of reaching this point where it was like, is this going to get better or not? Yeah. You know, are we going to step up or not? And we'll never know because we decided to let it go for a while. But again, like, I really just feel like it all has happened the way it's supposed to. And, and again, that record, we did not think that that was the end. It was just... Yeah. At, at all. On one hand, it's like the best mic drop record you could have possibly had. Um, and then on the other, it's like, what other potential is there? And so, you know, that's kind of the idea that I, I have in my head when you guys are coming back to the stage now. It's like, fuck yeah, I cannot wait to see this and, and you know, see where you guys take it next. I mean, I don't know. Is this just going to be, um, you know, shows only or is like the band back and who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we are playing these shows and then we would like to do some more shows since we've worked so hard to get our shit together. Yeah. So I don't think it's not going to be like jumping back into band touring, but I think that there will be some more shows and, you know, we don't know if we're going to record stuff or make new music yet. Like we're so concentrated on just getting our shit tight for these shows that it's hard to say. And, and uh, you know, can we still write together? I don't know. I think we could, but that remains to be seen. But we also have a lot of music that never came out that you oh. know, we would like to put out there. So 
there is like even I mean we have like demo tapes of shit that like there's some funny songs and yeah. um and some good songs that just never were put on anything. So there's a lot of opportunity. You know, people keep asking us to release everything on vinyl. Like there's so much that needs to happen. So hopefully we'll get it all to happen. They're still very DIY. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I, I would love yeah. to hear some of that stuff. And, and you know, fingers crossed for uh, a live DVD or Blu-ray or something from one of these comeback shows then. If, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see it from yeah. from afar. Totally. So last thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, one of the later tours that you guys did, it sounds like you did back-to-back Warp tours in 99 and 2000. I mean, I've heard everyone say, like, it sucks, but it's awesome. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think, though, what stood out to me most about that was there was an interaction with Blink. Mm-hmm. I realize it was worded carefully, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but but for me, as a 14-year-old, I was going to those shows. And I remember tur- mm-hmm. turning to my stepdad, because back then, you know, we'd have to have our parents drive us. Yeah. And I remember turning to him going, like, this is fucking stupid. And And I have a certain sweet spot for it, but... I never saw it through that lens of, you know, a lot of their fans are also my age then, middle school, high school girls. Yep. And so when they're calling for people to flash the crowd and this and that, it sounds like you were one of the only people who actually ever said anything, and I believe on stage, right? Yeah. It was so disgusting to see them do that, and it's like... You know, there's so many levels to rock and roll and like, these are fucking children, Yeah. you know? And these are like young women who, they should fucking learn to respect themselves and learn to, you know, it's just like asking for that and getting it. It's wrong on every level. And I'm glad that you saw that as a young person because it was too maddening to not say something about it. It was just gross. I mean, I've seen plenty of dumb shit from guy bands and like groupie stuff and, you know, being on the world tour, it's just like there's tons of them. There's tons I didn't see, you know yeah. what I mean? And it was so much fun and all of the good stuff. But that that's part of the problem of why people still say, oh, you're the girlfriend. You know, it's just like, it makes sense. Yeah, I know I want to punch somebody with a microphone. <laughs> just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just thought it was great because i mean from the beginning of this book like i said that opening chapter i swear to god if anyone reads that chapter they're gonna read this whole fucking book but (laughs) you know you set the scene from the very beginning you stay true to that the whole time you guys have each other's backs you don't take any shit again i was a young kid who i loved both of you guys for your irreverence and your Mm -hmm. filthy sense of humor and shit and so for me even having seeing a kind of a crack in the armor of of the sort of vision you you have of your favorite artists you know and me going ah this is this a little much right and hearing this perspective now all these years later i just thought that was great that you guys used your time on stage to actually be like hey by the way don't put up with that shit you guys in the crowd are better than that and i i just love that yeah thank you All right, that is our show. Huge thanks to Theo for taking the time. I'll admit I was a little nervous going into this one. I've been a fan for a long time, and we had never met at all. So 
I really appreciate her coming on. I think it turned out great. I'm going to come back to you guys next time with The Last Gang from Fat Wreck. But for now, I'm going to say check out the new book Fallopian Rhapsody by the Luna Chicks. I'm going to leave you with a song, the title track from their classic album, Luxury Problem. Can you believe it? How fucked up. Bruised knee, shit out of luck. Life sucks, my VCR broke. I'm all out of coffee, you're all out of smoke. Isn't it hard when you're... Spoiled rotten Got another luxury Problem Problem Got a roof over my head I got a bathtub And a bed My life is on the brink Yeah, my Drop the